Hand it out if you don't mind, John, for that cup. Uh-huh. Put it over here. <coughs> I noticed you didn't clap, Preston. In my heart, I was <laughs> Well, this is not exactly a Christmas story. But if there's anything that signifies hope, I think it's probably this. Because you see the grace of God where you can't imagine why he would have any grace. We're actually going to look at the um, the sixth chapter of Genesis uh, part of it anyway. This is going to be sort of a uh, a preamble. And uh, as you can imagine, we're going to be talking about Noah. First of all, um, there's a story about a man who was... Um, an uncle, really, who was talking to his university student. And the uncle asked him, he said, Joe, tell me, <clears throat> what do you plan to do after you graduate? And Joe, the son, said, oh, I guess I'll start my career. That sounds prudent, said the uncle. What do you plan to do after that? What's What then? I guess, said Joe, I'll get married and have a family. That's wonderful, said the old man. What then? Well, replied Joe, I guess I'll work hard at my job and make my fortune. Good for you, said the uncle. What then? Then said Joe, I'll buy a country home. Or excuse me. Well, replied Joe, then I'll work hard at my job and make my fortune. Good for you, said the uncle. What then? Then said Joe, I'll buy a country home and retire. That sounds inviting, said the uncle. What then? Well, I suppose, said Joe, that one day I'll die. That's true, said the uncle. What then? It's a good question, isn't it? What then? Mm-hmm. You know, Thanksgiving Day is a day that... Um, for families to get together, and occasionally it can be a day of relaxation and peace and quiet, even if you've got kids running all over the place and making a lot of noise. And then comes the next day after Thanksgiving, where it's a whole lot different than family time. It's a day of, it's been turned into a day of day, a day of frenzied shopping. And actually, it's not even a day anymore. It's a a weekend or a week or whatever it's turned into. You know, the world can be in a state of chaos with everything falling apart and all the attention of so many people is turned to 
buying things. Buying things for ourselves, buying things for other people. <coughs> and it's not that that shopping and buying gifts is wrong. It's just that uh, we spend an inordinate amount of time on these things, on doing things that have no eternal value and things that enable us to take the things that do have eternal value and just shove them to the side so that they have no center place in our lives. We forget that there's a war raging, a spiritual one, and that it's not going to stop until God returns. God Jesus. It began in Eden, of course, as you know, with the serpent tempting Eve. Man fell into sin by disobeying God, and Satan continues to subvert the human race, trying to draw people to himself and away from God. Of course, he even tried it with the Lord Jesus. He said, all this I will give to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. I want to take a few minutes to look at um, one man that God used to preserve the human race from the total fall and the wickedness and the destruction that Satan had planned for everyone. If the problem of sin is what caused judgment in Noah's day, and if sin is still part of our nature, then God's dealings with Noah provide a pattern for what will come again, both in judgment and in salvation. Noah teaches us how to hear and obey God and God's call to salvation, even in a world that delights in evil and destruction. We know that we all descended from Adam. That's a given. What we don't normally think about is that every one of us descended from Noah. You know, again, if you think about it, it's obvious, but we don't normally have that thought in our mind. There's no people, there's no race, there's no religion that doesn't descend from Noah. The first time the Bible ever uses the term righteous is speaking about Noah. Want to know what it means to stand in a right relationship with God? Noah can tell us. There's another word that's used for the first time in Scripture too. And that word is grace. And it's used with Noah. Want to know what it means that God would look down on a sinful world in grace? Look at Noah. Righteousness and grace. As always, the Bible does not gloss over the sin of its people. Although Noah was a was a preacher of righteousness in a in a that walked with God, no saint is immune 
from falling into sin. Just like Adam, the original head of the human race sinned through eating. Noah, the head of the human race after the flood, sinned by drinking. This time he drank and he got drunk. And it's sort of interesting to me when you think about it that as always, Scripture ties itself together. What did Jesus say? He was bread of life, right? The eating that not, that Adam did caused the sin that caused us to fall into total sin. The drinking that Noah did. What does Jesus said? If you're thirsty, come to me. I'll give you living water. In our spiritual walk, we find we're in a spiritual battle. There are wars within and wars without. Genesis 4 tells us about Cain and Abel. How Cain killed his brother Abel. And the increasing wickedness and violence of Cain's descendants. When we get into chapter 5... We need about we read about another son, <clears throat> Seth, who came after Cain had killed Abel. And Seth is the godly line. And his and we read about his godly descendants and who of whom Noah was one. And this was a, an interesting an aside in chapter five again where it talks about Seth and his godly descendants. <clears throat> this is one of those chapters that um, people in normally would say are part of the boring parts of scripture Okay, there are nine men mentioned in the genealogy and it seems that each name has a special meaning <clears throat> The ones that are mentioned are Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. <coughs> Kenan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the, the excuse me the despairing. And Noah means rest or comfort. If you put them all together, this is the message you get. <clears throat> man appointed mortal sorrow which means man is destined to die Okay, man appointed mortal sorrow the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort that's Jesus and that's from one of the boring parts of scripture. (laughs) 
<clears throat> chapter 6 shows us that the corruption of mankind reached such proportions that God brought forth a flood to destroy all but Noah and his family. This is the way the Bible puts it, and we're going to start not at the beginning of chapter 6. Later on, I'll go back and we'll go through that. But right now, let's look at <coughs> chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And it reads, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will, not, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's a lot. Apart from God's revelation to us, we have no idea of the depth of our sin, the depth of our sin and wickedness in his sight. These verses tell us why God had to judge the world, but even in the midst of the judgment at the great destruction that was coming, we see hope. His loving grace was on Noah. After creating the universe, the plants, the animals, and humans, Scripture says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. But now God looks down and he's grieved because of what he saw. And what he saw was man's great wickedness. We need to pay attention <clears throat> to the words that scripture uses. Verse 6 says, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice the word every. It shows the depth of our corruption. It's not just surface to God. It permeates our being. Even our good works don't please God because they're not done in order to please God. That's not our motivation. And then notice that even after the flood... This is in 821. This is after the flood. The Lord said, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth or continually. Didn't change. Before the flood, after the flood. The wickedness of man's heart stayed the same. Human nature did not change after the flood. People did not become better. <clears throat> In Romans 3, Paul quotes from the Psalms and he says this. In Romans 3,
As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. All have turned aside, altogether they have become useless. There's none who does good, there's not even one. Sad commentary, isn't it? Only a radical change of heart by the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to have a new nature. It's never going to happen in any other way. It's only when we understand the seriousness of our sin in the light of the holiness of God that we can even begin to understand God's justice in sending the destruction he did in the flood. Anselm of Canterbury, who was the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury in, in 1093, said that if anyone imagines <clears throat> that God can simply forgive us, that person has not yet considered what a heavy weight sin is. People think God can just, I forgive you. No big deal. It's not what Scripture says. There's only one solution to sin, to our sinful condition, <laughs> and it's found in Jesus. The God-man has satisfied the justice of God on the cross. So what does it mean that God was sorry <clears throat> that he had made man? That he was grieved? doesn't mean God made a mistake or changed his mind because he didn't know that this was going to happen. God's not surprised by anything. And he doesn't change his mind because things happen over which he has no control. God deals appropriately with the changes in human behavior. When we sin or repent of sin, he changes his mind with regard to whether he's going to bless us and bring joy and, and whatever he wants to bring to, to, to bless our lives, or whether there's going to be cursing, it's going to be a punishment. God changes his mind in regard to what he wants to do based on what we do to, to honor him and his word. Whatever is appropriate to the situation, all in accordance with his eternal purpose. In the book of Joel, The second chapter, verses 13 and 14, <clears throat> say, And rend your heart, tear your heart, <clears throat> and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord our God. Who knows if he will not relent. Turn to the Lord. Noah and his household were the last of the godly line of Seth. They were the last ones to survive the generation from demon-driven, self-proclaimed gods and tyrants that you get in an earlier verse that we'll look at later. 
that all descended from the line of Cain. Intermarriage and association had totally destroyed the human race, the godly line of Seth, intermarrying with the ungodly line of Cain until they were all corrupt and wickedness knew no bounds. The rebellion of man had reached such a crescendo where God had to act to preserve a line through which the Messiah would come. He was going to send a redeemer, but all humanity outside of Noah had become corrupt. Psalm 94, 2 and 3 reads, Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? This was Noah's cry. And God's response was to reverse his creation in order to make a new beginning. In Genesis 1, God is shown to be the one who prepared the good land for man and for his family. In the flood, God is shown to be the one who takes the good land away from man because of his great wickedness. And of course, man's wickedness, his sinfulness, doesn't affect just man. Adam and Eve's sin affected all of creation. First, it affected the ground. Because it was cursed, it yielded crops through painful toil, and it also produced thorns and thistles. And secondly, man's fault brought judgment on the animals as well. Now there was enmity between man and the animals. And then there's nature. Nature went wild. Tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, great destruction. Paul spoke about creation, creation subjection, to frustration and bondage and decay in Romans 8. God always preserves a remnant of those that are faithful to him. He promised a deliverer, <clears throat> and the evil of man, as great it was, as it was, was not going to change that. He was going to preserve a descendant of Noah through whom the promise would eventually be fulfilled, a remnant chosen by grace. And all those who trust in Christ are part of that remnant today. Paul says that the Lord told Elijah that he kept 7,000 men preserved to himself that had not bowed the knee to Baal. In Romans 11, verses 5 through 8, <clears throat> it says in the same way then there's also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice but if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace is no longer grace what then what Israel is seeking it has not obtained but those who were chosen obtained it and the rest were burdened excuse me hardened 
just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. Spirit of stupor. And in the same way, in Noah's day, people were in a spiritual fog. They were blind and deaf to the rebellion against God. Noah was not spared because he was righteous and blameless. Rather, he was spared because of God's grace that led him to be righteous and blameless. The animal sacrifices that Noah made after the flood when he came out of the ark were a type looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that was going to cover all of our sins. In the next few verses in chapter 6 again this is an overview verses 9 through 16 these are the records of the generations of Noah Noah was a righteous man blameless in his time Noah walked with God Noah became the father of three sons Shem, Ham and Japheth Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the Lord is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and without, and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set the door of the ark in the sides, in the side of it. You shall make it with lower second and third decks. Despite being a sinner like everybody else, Noah was a man of integrity. Think about for a moment how hard it is to find a man of integrity today. Would you start with politicians? Is that the last place you would go? But even if you don't think about politicians... How many people would you trust, I don't know, with everything you own, knowing that they would do the right thing? It's hard to find people like that, isn't it? Now imagine that you're Noah, and you're a man of integrity, and you're surrounded by people, none of who have integrity. How are you going to walk? It's very difficult to stand in righteousness when everyone around you makes compromises to God's standards and ridicules anyone that doesn't make the same compromises. Peter commended Noah in Second Peter as a preacher of righteousness. As a preacher of righteousness, Noah warned the ungodly of the coming judgment through a flood. 
Not only did he preach to the people, but his actions in building an ark year after year after year spoke to his faith in what God had said. Verse 9 says, Noah walked with God. So what does it mean to walk with God? It means he spent the majority of time with God daily, hourly, constantly, all all through the day, every day. He spent with God. Whatever, whatever God told him to do, that's what he did. Even when in the natural, it seemed foolish, Noah did it. Hebrews 11.7 reads, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Do you think the people around Noah laughed and made fun of him? He's building a huge boat, or whatever they called it then. And it's in the middle of nowhere. If there's any water around, it's not very close. And then he tells people that they're going to die in a flood. So he's building an ark, a monstrous thing. And he's telling people that if they don't change, if they don't repent, they're going to die. Because God's going to judge them for their immorality, their corruption, their rebellion, their their violence, everything, their selfishness. And the ark is a constant reminder of the message that Noah is preaching. And normally, we're exceptions of course, but normally people don't take it very well when somebody is condemning them. Unlike us, they're not real gracious. So day after day, He's telling them what's going to happen to them. So you can imagine the kind of reaction he's getting. Genesis 6.3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now it's possible that this refers to the lifespan of people after the flood, but that's not likely based on some other things in in the scripture. Probably what it means is from the time of this announcement, there's going to be 120 years before the flood comes. So this is how long Noah preached to these people. This is how long, give give or take a few years, that he was building the ark. This is how long he preached to the people. Over 100 years. And not only is this how long he had to preach to the people and no one listened, but even when the ark was completed and Noah and his family and the animals went into the ark, everybody was inside, God waited. The scripture says 
<clears throat> in Genesis 7.10, it tells us that God waited seven days after Noah and his family and the animals were in the ark before the flood came. Now you got people making comments all the time about God not being just and God being cruel and not being fair. How could he destroy all these people? A good God wouldn't do that. And the only way people, the only way anyone could think like that is to not think at all. Why isn't being warm for 120 years enough? Why isn't building an ark in front of all these people enough? Why isn't the evidence that you can't trust anybody around you and everybody loves wickedness? Why isn't that enough? These are not innocent people. They were so corrupt <clears throat> that God couldn't take it any longer. Remember the story of Jonah? We've just been looking at it recently. Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh. And Nineveh was a greatly wicked city. And when Noah, excuse me, when Jonah preached, Nineveh repented. It says, they fasted and repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God spared them. But in Noah's day, no one did that. No one fasted. No one repented. They were too far gone. They were too corrupt. <clears throat> in addition to Noah's preaching, here's what the people had to ignore. This is what the ark that Noah was building looked like when it was completed. 460 feet long. One and a half football fields in length. 75 feet wide. 45 feet tall. Three deck levels with 18 inches of open space at the top all around the ark for ventilation. Its volume was 1.54 million cubic feet. <clears throat> it had a total deck space of 101,000 square feet. That's equal to 522 standard American <clears throat> stock cars, railroad stock cars, each of these cars, which can hold 240 sheep. Altogether, that's 125,280 sheep that the ark could have held if it had nothing but sheep on it. It was covered to pitch <laughs> to make it waterproof, and its dimensions were more like a barge than a ship, and it made it almost impossible for it to capsize. That's what the ark looked like as these people were watching year after year after year being built with Noah preaching. <clears throat> all of the scriptures, all of the passages in scriptures that refer to the flood speak <coughs> about God's judgment except one. And that's in First Peter 
22. <clears throat> Again, all of the rest of them speak about judgment except this one. And it's talking about, <clears throat> it says, Christ preaching at a time in which he also went and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison. It's Christ speaking through Noah is what it's talking about. Who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, with angels and authorities and power, have been, subject, have been subjected to him. This passage speaks of hope and salvation. <clears throat> the ark becomes a parable of salvation. Only one door into the ark, and there's only one gospel. And Jesus is the door, the only door in the life. He rescues us from death. And just knowing that there was an ark didn't save anybody. Just knowing about Jesus doesn't save anybody. To be secure, you have to truly know him. You have to truly trust him. You have to truly hope in him. Jesus warns, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. He says, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. You know, along, <clears throat> along with a final judgment upon sin, a new heaven and a new earth is being fashioned. And just like Noah, we find our safety and our eternal security in God who preserves us and sustains us. And it's only in Him that we're going to find strength to live a holy life in an unholy world. Which is what we're living in now. An unholy world with people that don't listen. But for 120 years, the fact that they didn't listen didn't stop Noah. God said he was a preacher of righteousness. And that he walked with God, and God never told him to stop. Until the day he went in the ark, he never stopped. So when we get discouraged, maybe we need to remember, we don't stop. No matter what, we don't stop. Who knows? Maybe during that last seven days, there are a few people that want to walk into the ark. Would God have opened the door the last seven days? I would have to guess that he would. But still nobody repented. But let's don't stop. You don't ever quit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Noah is a type, a man of righteousness and integrity. And why did you pick Noah? Lord, we don't know. We don't know why you picked Abraham. And we sure don't know why you picked us. 
But Lord, we are so blessed and grateful that you have. And we pray that you would use us to proclaim your word to a lost and dying world. And that we would not give up, Lord. But that we would persevere. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.